Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hey guys, this is Andy. This is Pete. We uh, are about to kick off another Speakeasy episode, but we did want to give you a warning that uh, this one's not exactly uh, as safe for uh, every pair of ears that might be tuning in. Um, there might be a little bit of language in this one, and that's okay. We just wanted to give you a warning. I think it's I think it's fair to say that might is uh, <laughs> actually putting it lightly. There is some language. There is definitely categorically some language. 
uh, our guest is wonderfully, colorfully enthusiastic. And we decided that it's just really great. So we're leaving it all in. So if you have kids, if you're in the car, go listen to uh, an older episode and, and pause this one. Come back to this one later. You'll enjoy it. And here it is. Yes, you will. Taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once he was programmed to destroy the future. What it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. Welcome to the next Real Speakeasy on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Andy Nelson, and that over there is Pete Wright. Say... That's a nice bike. Each month on the next Real Speakeasy, we invite an industry guest to join us, and instead of serving up their favorite cocktails, they serve up movies that they love so that we can all talk about them. We'd like to welcome our guest to this month's show, costume designer Sarah Trost. A fourth-generation filmmaker, Sarah grew up in rural Northern California where she developed a gritty and rugged Wild West spirit that would inevitably weave its way into her work. At the age of 10, Sarah started sewing her own clothes on an old Singer sewing machine in her family's garage, turning the lush fabrics of old lingerie into play clothes and Halloween costumes. Her talent led her to graduate magna cum laude at FIDM, a prestigious L.A. fashion school, and years working in the Warner Brothers costume house. She went on to assist several prestigious designers on such projects as Nacho Libre and Fantastic Four. Sarah's always broken the mold and was the only L.A. contestant accepted to Project Runaway, where her honest and down-to-earth nature quickly made her a favorite in Season 8. Notably influenced by fantasy and adventure movies of the 80s, Sarah has also been impacted by her global travel experiences, including places like Australia, Southeast Asia, South America, Easter Island, and many odd corners in Europe. She currently focuses her energies primarily in the world of costume design for feature films such as The FP, K-11, and TV shows like HBO's new comedy Vice Principals. Say hello to the folks, Sarah. Hello, folks. First of all, thanks for for being this. Have you for doing this show with us? Have you ever actually played Dance Dance Revolution, in which one of the the competitors dies? Uh, yeah, it's called the FP. We live <laughs> that. Is diabolical. Yeah, it's some real shit. That's your family, right? Those are your your brothers. Yeah, that is nice. epic. And Beats of yeah. Rage, the FP Part Two. Oh man, it is coming! And like, I am a, <laughs> I, my heart is a flutter. I can't. I watched the trailer and the eye patch. I, you had me at eye patch. That was awesome. Uh, well, you know, obviously, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know where you, it's. It is so much different from the first one, and it, it's just. It's like there's some like some sort of new territory they're dancing over, or yeah, no, it's like the Mortal Kombat <laughs> sense. So it's like we're we're going out to you know we got to leave the FP to go to the major tournament. Oh, so God, that's fantastic. 
It's about to get real. It's about to get real, real weird. People are going to, it's going to polarize the fans. You're going to want it or not want it, but it's, it's going to happen <laughs> so, to you. We're doing a series. We're doing a series on this very I, show. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fine. Um, I have. I'm actually looking. I've got sketches on my wall right now. I've got pieces that I've been collecting. I mean, we we're we're right in the middle of it. It's starting. So it's on the yeah, list. Yeah, you've got to watch it. So uh, watch it. Watch it with some friends. Watch it with a couple drinks for sure. It's like a three drink minimum <laughs> of a film. Uh, if you enjoy, which of course, if you guys love T two, if you love anything about eighties or nineties action movies and jokes in general. Uh, watch the FP. Awesome. But that's not, that is not why we're here today. Andy, why are we here? No, we are here, Sarah, because uh, of all the movies that you could talk about to, on this show, you chose to talk about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yes. A fantastic, fantastic action film. Why is this the film you wanted to choose? Because it's the best action film of all time. <laughs> Excellent. If you didn't Good answer. Know. We like that. In case I mean, you didn't know. I mean, honestly, it was pretty tough because you guys were like, oh, just pick one. And I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to pick one? I've got like 8,000 favorite movies. And so I'm just like thumbing through the DVD books or whatever. And I'm just like, I mean, there were a few. There were a few that were top contenders. I almost, almost picked Back to the Future 3. So you're lucky I didn't. Back um, to the Future 3? Uh, yeah. Who picks Back to the Future 3? Someone who enjoys pacing and having a good time. <laughs> Somebody who clearly doesn't recognize the magic of, of self-tying Nike laces and flying DeLoreans. Uh, that was in the second one, thank you. I know, that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is somebody who doesn't appreciate the Wild West. Mm-hmm. It is a Doc Brown love story, and it is expert. Back to T2. I could tell where this I is going. As much. I figured as much. Yeah, anyway. So Terminator 2, this is, this is really one of the great action films. I mean, it truly is. Had you seen the first Terminator film like when you were a kid? Is it something that kind of stuck with you, and this was one that you immediately wanted? to go out and see kind of what was your kind of uh, entrance into the terminator world okay i will give you a story it's a it's a fairly personal story which uh personal for my little brother so he's gonna be pissed about this but um <laughs> i don't th- I, I may have seen the first one before i saw the second one but i think i saw the second one first honestly i was only like eight years old okay uh-huh. so i'm like eight years old my little brother's four why are we watching terminator 2 i don't know but anyway <laughs> we go to the theater podcast don't worry well about you know, okay judgment well, free zone. <laughs> um so we go to see terminator 2 and i just i just fucking loved it and like and my little brother just lost his mind four years old in love with terminator terminator dies at the end spoiler alert he's weeping he's fucking crying so hard like my dad has to carry him out on his shoulders it's like it's insane so it's it's a big deal for the trust kids so you you fell in love with this movie because it made your younger brother cry uh i don't know we just there there was just like a certain connection with it and jason loved it so much and he would dress up like it he had all the toys we had we would watch it all the time i it like also weirdly sarah connor might as well be my mom like it's you know, my mom's pretty tough. Well, I mean, it, and I think as a kid watching it, I mean, there is a kid as one of the characters in the film. You know, it's I think watching it and seeing kind of the story unfold through the eyes of of uh, a young John Connor, Edward Furlong, in his uh, initial film. I mean, he's supposed to be 10. He's, you know, I think he was 14 at the time. Yeah. Um, I think that there's something as a kid watching this movie and kind of being introduced to this with a kid that you can kind of go along for the ride with, I think that's definitely a strong point that that you're making here is that it's very easy for kids to get into this franchise with that in mind. Well, and it was just, and it's just so awesome. There's like, 
here's this person that is just meant to protect you because he has no other goal in life other than to protect you. You know, like it's just, it's fucking awesome. And in the same, at the same time, you know, we were born and kind of, we grew up in Northern California, but we also grew up in the Valley and like all those like scenes, like one of my favorite stunt scenes ever when, you know, Arnold's on the bike and he fucking comes off of that corner down into the wash to like, chase the semi truck, which is a real right. stunt, which I love real stunts. Um, because I don't know if you guys know, but my dad does special effects. And so we grew up with like practical effects and stunts and all like just the old school, all of it. Um, but we used to ride bikes in those same washes. You know what I mean? Like we, like as little kids, like we, we did a lot of this kind of stuff. So I don't know why it just, it just really resonates with me and I just love it. But it's just such like clean, crisp, wonderful action to me. And it's just such a weird I don't know. I just, I love weird time travel aspects of anything. It is, I to me, the best action film ever made. You know, it's funny. One of my notes was, is there any other purpose for these canals in LA other than great car chases and car races? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't know what LA uses them they're, for. It's uh, like always cars in no, them. No, that's true. Um, no, they're, they're storm drains. I mean, they're aqueducts, the whole thing. You're not, you're not meant to go in there. We'd break in oh, there. No, sure, you know? yeah. Like we just fucking <laughs> toss the bikes over the chain link fence and go to town. I mean, I know that I like fell down and like ended up in some green slime once on my bike. Like, you know, nice. it's, it's, but since it's not, LA is like mostly in drought conditions, when does it ever fill with anything? Uh, it doesn't really fill. There's like a little like central, trickle. yeah, trickle. A, a little trickle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now it's just now it's Fear the Walking Dead territory. I'm all about that. Well, and I, I read much, that yeah. they had to actually like scour these canals when they went to film there. They actually had to like sandblast all the algae out of them to make it safe yeah. for all the people. <laughs> yeah, it's gnarly, dude. Them. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're man. they're gross. I think this film. I think one of the things I like most about this film is is that it is a it, it is a great like sort of grindhouse crossover film. It is this well earned R rated film that that gives you some good straight up clean bloody violence like yeah, it is it is killing xander berkeley with the knife through the milk carton is <laughs> a legendary death it is your foster parents are dead the best right. the best uh and it, the, what's wrong with wolfie i can hear him barking. <laughs> <laughs> and that private vasquez is in it i mean just for, mm-hmm. forget it but the whole the whole thing is mm-hmm. uh, is that cameron i think hides he hides a lot of his message his political message that he usually sort of wears right on his sleeve in this kind of grindhouse crossover film right i mean it is a message of disarmament it's a message about you know nukes are bad it's a message about god i hate the military but man do i love their guns it's, it's <laughs> you know this is the same kind oh, of man thing the same kind of message that he, he uses in uh, in uh you know like true lies and avatar and the abyss and god even titanic right it's i, the, lo- I don't even care james cameron is james cameron along with john carpenter my favorite filmmakers nice. they have just, a theme let's just say they absolutely have a theme. yep and and uh, and so you know, I think that he, you know, this is his his mission in life is to make films that address his. This is a quote of his: "Technology in and of itself is not evil, but there is a great potential for hum- for evil in the human misapplication of that technology." And I it, that is that's his central purpose of filmmaking, it seems. And so, uh, but I I really like it because this is otherwise a really simple chase film, right? Yes. I mean, it's just yes. it's a straight up chase film that ends up being part of such a wonderful mythology and i i think that's uh, i think that's fantastic yeah it's one of my favorites of all time i mean i can i can always go back to t2 and it, like in, in any consequence it's like i don't know even just 
the artistry of it, how it's shot, the costumes, the production design, just everything that happens is just so, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I have no words to describe how much I love this movie. Well, I think looking at the script and how James Cameron and uh, William Wisher Jr., who co-wrote it with him, I mean, I think they did such a great job of taking elements from the first Terminator film and finding ways to kind of repurpose it and and really create these interesting parallels all through right. this. How in this film, Sarah kind of ends up becoming the Terminator, right? Yeah. And, and the Terminator ends up kind of becoming the Kyle Reese character. And you have such an interest. And then T-1000, of course, becomes the Terminator. It's like this interesting blend of these different characters as they shift in the film. But they all kind of have their purpose that really parallels what's going on in the first Terminator. Jesus, it's Star think- Wars The Force Awakens, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> How did I not see movie. that coming? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I just think that's something that James Cameron does so well. I mean, look at how he did it in Aliens, how he kind of created a parallel similar story in there. But then he he shifts it and he adds things. And like in that film, he added the Queen, which was so smart. Here you get the T-1000, which is, I mean, I just remember watching this film when it came out and just just having my jaw like on the floor through the whole film because watching this metal man when he first walks out of the fire there and then transforms back into into the cop I mean that just blew me away and he keeps doing that like when he cracks his head through the helicopter windshield and then like pours himself into the seat and creates himself ah, it just blew me away i mean it's, it's just rock solid uh storytelling here well yeah and just the fact that like you have the first terminator which is just you know awe-inducing enough and then you've got this second form of a terminator that can pretty much do anything and it's it's just unbelievable especially as a child for me to watch like it was like how how do you how do you beat this how do you beat this thing and eventually you know and they do and it's it is so impressive it, you know it's impressive that they are able to maintain some consistency in the heart of the film too that it's not just you know if you if you watch it for just the effects it is nonstop stunt work i mean it's nonstop action and i love it yeah. it's fantastic and yet it really is kind of a continuation of the story uh, that of a family story right where the the first movie was a, a fractured love story right it was it was the absolutely it was just this horrible tragic story about um, uh, about Sarah and Kyle and this one is a mother and son story and and it holds up in that regard too I think it's uh, but I really am interested in how you know uh, John Connor is written as the son of a of a broken woman in the beginning of the film and it, it makes that transition to come around as he learns the truth that she was right that you know he was this crazy rebellious kid and ends up being a dutiful uh, protective son. I thought that was a great transition and and it's one that I didn't expect to hold up as well as it did over the years. Well, and plus, he comes in as kind of a father figure, which is the yeah. other yeah. element of that. It's it, They create this really interesting uh, family that was broken. crazy edible and, psychosis. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's strange, but the way they come together is just, it's, it's uh, so interesting. And I, I love the way that it kind of uh, unfolds to help John become the leader he needs to. It's true. Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob's killing it. Have you noticed the trend, Sarah, in in movie posters and films, how it's that orange and blue look that they love so much now, where you've got that great, uh, those two colors together. It's like the, everybody's a Broncos fan now. And you've got this these orange and blues because they work so well in, in posters and they catch your eyes. This film, like you get to that last act when you're in the uh, the iron plant, 
and all of the blues from the the cold uh, liquid nitrogen and everything mixing with all the oranges from the uh, from the steel and everything, it just created that great orange and blue look through the whole last act of the film. That I'm like, is this where that started? And I don't know. It, um, I don't it, think I ever caught I mean, it, it until it, it could until be. Then. However, from I would say from an art perspective. Uh, not to be a complete weirdo, but orange and blue are contrast colors like red and green and purple and yellow. Sure. So they're completely contrast spectrum wise. Yeah. On that um, color wheel, they're exactly opposite yes. one another. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, as far as like a visual perspective, that's going to be the most engaging, the most captivating having those colors together. It's, it certainly has become popular. It has become very popular. And then you see yeah. it so stark in, in like Mad Max, you know, I mean, it was oh just my God, I love Mad Max. Gorgeous. Um, yeah. This one starts in 2029. We see kind of a little bit of the future here. And then we jump back in time. And then, uh, and then of course, there's Terminator 3. There's Terminator Salvation. No. Nope. There's Termina- Terminator Genesis. And there's the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I guess so. <laughs> so okay so that that i think answers a lot of my questions that i had for you uh so you're it doesn't sound like you're a fan of the terminator franchise as a whole i the the james cameron terminators that are the ones that exist yes those everything are the two else, that exist that's, that's answers everything that. else is i don't know what happened but that it's it doesn't count yeah there's a lot of mess in the rest of them just just in uh, prep for this uh show i actually watched the first one second one third one and fourth one just to kind of freshen my memory of what goes on in those i didn't make it into genesis but i'd seen that one fairly recently when it was in theaters it did not um, I, I'm one of those people who kind of likes T3, I got to say. And the fact that it ends in global annihilation, I think. That is, was uh, the one with the girl killer. <laughs> robot, I, I right? did see, I, yes. I do remember seeing that. I did see that in the theater. I believe I only saw it once. I couldn't really tell you much of what happened with it. It's got some bad stuff in it, but that's the one where, <laughs> where, where they're going after, because John's gone off the grid. They're going after his lieutenants. And it's the, it's the woman. Uh, robot right. going after the lieutenants. And Who's driving like a like a dog ambulance truck or something? Claire Danes worked at a vet's office, and she- yeah, Claire Danes, Nick Stahl. I can tell you uh, that I remember my issues with that movie being, um, I there were parts that I really wanted to like. Um, however, you will notice about the majority of Terminator Two as well. Like the major action scenes happen at night. And a lot uh-huh. of the major action scenes in the third one happen, dur- happen during the day. And it just, it's... Like the big crane chase. Yeah. And it's, there. there's just something about it visually that I kind of prefer action to happen at night um, as opposed to during the day. And that's really just a personal preference. And I don't know why, but it. I feel like it, it is so much better at night, especially when... You know, it's lit well. You can provide atmosphere uh, from a special pe- special effects perspective when there are wet downs everywhere. I mean, it just gives it so much more life, and it gives life to the production design. It's it's hard during the day for me. Plus, plus those explosions look so pretty at night, like when they blow up uh, Cyberdyne. Yeah, gorgeous. That's just a fantastic explosion. Yeah, it really is. No, that's that's actually a really interesting point. So much of this was shot at night, and I really think that Adam Greenberg, who who shot this film, just did a stellar job of of lighting everything. Just the way he he captured everything. I mean, the day stuff too, but really the night stuff really stands out as just looking really solid. All the stuff they shot with the with the um, the vehicle driving down the road, the the helicopter yeah. stuff. I mean, just everything is really, um, it's just beautiful and it really feels like night. And there's a lot of times you're watching night stuff and it just doesn't quite feel like night. It feels like they've lit it to look that way. Yeah, well, This one actually works. I think this was is, is really uh, carefully done. 
Yeah, well, because it's actually number one filmed at night. Uh, it's filmed on film, you know, and you you have that contrast. You have those super super crushed blacks. You have like the you have the full contrast, but at the same time you have the color. So when you have you have the dark pieces and you have the light pieces, but there's so many colors within that frame at the same time, you know, and you have you have so many different departments working together, and it just is, and it's so beautiful, but it comes off so effortlessly, and it's. It's fantastic, and that is such a rare thing to happen now, especially in an action film. Real stunts, same with real effects. I mean, that's that's something that they were doing back here. And James Cameron, I think, is one of those filmmakers who really understands a lot of the tools that he has as options in front of him. He knows how to balance the right way between models and stunts and effects like cg effects and you know real like stan winston sort of uh, puppetry yeah he understands all these tools and how to blend them in a way where i mean i swear it's so hard for me to to pinpoint the specific changes from scene to scene he does it so masterfully well and the deal is the guy himself is he is an artist and you get there it's funny yeah. how much flack he gets like uh, honest like obviously i've never worked with him I don't know. Um, but he, he gets a bad rap for like being an asshole. And I'm like, really? Because I kind of think he knows exactly what he wants to do. He's done all he's, he's worked in almost every single department. He knows how to do everything. I have such respect for this man. Um, and his product is impeccable. Yeah. I mean, he really hasn't had a, I mean, other than like some story wise uh, issues that I have with some of them. I mean, I just, I think that every film he's done is really kind of a masterclass in filmmaking. I agree. Maybe except for Piranha 2, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't really think you can judge that one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, you know, I think so much of the, uh, you know, you're talking about the, just the look of it and shooting at night. I mean, so much of that is born of such necessity uh, from Terminator 1, which was, you know, and I know you're going to talk about the numbers later, Andy, but the, you know, that that was such a low budget film compared to Absolutely. this one. And what is really ends up being kind of magical about it is that this film, even at, you know, what, at 50 times the budget, ends up feeling like a direct continuation of the first film. It feels like it is of a piece. It is of the same family. Uh, it, it feels like it was shot every bit as guerrilla style as the first one was, you know, and even though we know it, it largely was not, um, it, it feels right at home in the in the franchise. And I, I think that's one of his real gifts is, is creating a, uh, not just a vision of the mythology, but a consistency of tone and style. I think he did a fantastic job. It makes me sad uh, a little bit uh, that he did not end up continuing with the franchise. I mean, I I really feel like T2 was a great ending. It's like they didn't have to continue this franchise. Um, But if somebody did, I kind of wish it was him. Yeah, it makes me sad a lot. Yeah. It's not like a little sad. It's sad a lot. It's terrible. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if you've heard like the Christian Bale like rap song that they made. But yeah, (laughs) with him uh, going off on set. Yeah. 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 That's not good for um, him. Yeah. Not good for that him. That was a bad. No. That was a bad time. Yeah, maybe it's not, but that is completely taken out of context. You have no idea what happened on that no, set. True. Yeah, you no, have true. no yeah. idea what happened. I, a friend of mine, is actually mentioned in that rant who was on set with him, and Christian is completely in the right. You know, it's like there there are things that happen, and you have who who is the sound person that comes out and like releases that kind of shit. Shit like that happens all the time. You can't do that. Like, yeah, right. That's okay. insane. That's insane. You have no idea what led up to that moment, you know? And it was, I, I am on Christian Bale's side, 
Well, sure. And I think anybody who's worked on a set and knows the the kind of activity that goes on a set and yes. when the camera is rolling knows that, that that's thing. I, I say it's not good for him because it doesn't matter if he was in the right. Public perception was not good for him in that. In yeah, it's true. I, that, it's too bad. This is true. But it's we, just, just in terms of too bad. It, it is it yeah. is it is a shame and we now live in the world of public perception yeah. of of you know no backstory whatsoever and no context and that right. that is a shame Andy we were talking about the script and we were talking about the the time travel stuff did we satisfy that to you uh, for you time travel I think that uh, it's a it's such a tricky thing and I think that um, I think James Cameron really mastered it well um, going from the first film to this film and I love the idea of you know, they couldn't get uh, Sarah in the first one, so now they're going after John in the second one. I think that's a fantastic way to take this time travel story. I, I think that uh, it's just, it's smart filmmaking, and there's something really fun about time travel that actually, I think, gives the filmmakers a lot of leeway, the way that they play with it. Although it also inf- means that there's a lot of rules that they have to enforce along the way. And I think Cameron and uh, Wisher were pretty smart about the way that they uh, kind of stuck with the rules that they were creating all through this. How how so? Because I, one of the things that I think about when I look at this film is that the rules, it felt like, were very simple in the first three movies, or the first two movies, and they got progressively more complex. Well, and I, maybe that's just it, is I, I think that they had set up some, some fairly simple rules that they stuck with here, uh, you know, there were elements of the first movie that uh, that followed through into the second movie, things from the future that that got stuck in the past, like the arm and the chip. I mean, it did it it did make me suspicious of okay, well, weren't there cops on the wouldn't have cops come to the scene in the first Terminator that would also have like confiscated some of this stuff? Weren't there other elements of the robot that survived? But you know, for the most part, I think that they they created these elements and they kind of kept with it as far as what they were doing from from the first movie to the second and the timeline and how everything moved along um i think i think they did a good job of that and i think what happened in the following films is that the filmmakers felt the need to complicate those rules more and i think by creating more complex layers of of the time travel and the timelines and how things were jumping around and who was jumping around and all that i think it ended up convoluting the story to a place that it didn't need to go yeah i think that that's that's kind of where i'm talking about i i think the one rule that i they never really set up for me in in the first two movies that i'd never really understood is uh why the fixed points in time to send these Terminators back. Like, why didn't they just try again to get Sarah, uh, you know, after the first Terminator? Why did they have to wait until and go back when John Connor's 10 years old? Um, that just always felt a little bit arbitrary to me. But once once I looked past that, it was just a sign that the rest of the movie was so engaging that I didn't need to worry so hard about that. Yeah, I mean, they could have like gone back to the 50s and killed Sarah's parents. Right, I mean, right. I mean, yeah. we can keep there's, going there's back and make that easier. It, right. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can keep going forever, um, but I think, at least for me, as soon as something gets more complicated and more convoluted, I feel like there's sort of like a graph or a matrix having to do with how convoluted something is with the quality of the story and the quality of the film. Like, the more simple the story, the more engaging the film, in my perspective, you know? Well, and that's one of the things that I think looks makes this film look so good is that again, it's it's about the people that are engaged in this cockamamie time travel thing, but we're really it's about the people and we're allowed to to fall in love with the people a little bit. I think I think watching Sarah Sarah's 
arc in this film going from the the Cassandra complex right in the beginning like she's just nobody believes her she just comes right. off as a lunatic to the vindication at the end she is Linda Hamilton just dominates it she's just fantastic complete badass I looked at my wife after watching this film and I was like this was one of those performances in an action film that that very well could have been recognized by the Academy as you know, best actress performance. I mean, if they can say Sigourney Weaver was best yeah. actress yes. quality absolutely. in Aliens, absolutely, absolutely, Linda Hamilton was at that level as well. Yeah, she I, she brought it, and I don't know, and that's what's hard for me too. I, I think just personally, that's what's hard for me in any of the other Terminators when they, you know, when they try to bring in another Sarah Connor, and it's like. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Like you, you, no, we got it. Like if you don't if you don't bring that or best it, like I'm not interested because that chick is fucking badass. Like she's so awesome. That's really true. I don't think they've ever found another limit uh, another Sarah Connor yeah. as good as No, and you can and 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 I'm sure and I'm sure that that woman exists um but she is not she's not been placed there, you know. It's um well, and it's none of the other actresses fault. It's just I I don't think they're right for it. Well, and also I don't think I don't think the script, I don't think she's been written properly yeah, in the script to carry issue. that. I, I agree with that. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't see the newest Terminator um, I, simply because after even just watching trailers and watching pieces of it, it's like, you know, I don't want to watch uh, a Terminator that maybe has some sort of similarities to like a Twilight or like a teen situation. Like, I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want that. I, I want Sarah Connor for real. Like yeah. I want this to be real and I want this to be gritty and I want this to be amazing. And it was like, it's, you know, over 20 years later, why can we not best this? Cause James Cameron's not doing it. No That's shit. Why? Because now no he's shit. taking all of his, all of his female characters and painting them blue. Uh, you say that with disdain or are you, you're not interested in that? No, I'm interested in it. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, it, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I feel like his, I, I, I think I, he's saying that because she he's he's cho- choosing to not do anything else except Avatar that, now. I mean, right, he's got, that's what, like, it. Four Avatar sequels, which is great, but but it makes I mean, me resent I, Avatar see... a little bit after seeing this because one again. because he has a new girlfriend called Avatar and it's not you. <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit. I, wanna, I mean, I, I feel that. that. No, I get, I get you. I'm I'm with you on that, but I still want the Avatar. So. The thing is, when I walked out of this movie, I saw this with a girlfriend at the time, and I walked out of this movie, and the words I could not say were, I'm going to marry Linda Hamilton. I wanted to say those words so out loud, but that was, like, she was, I was standing with this other girl, and she was delightful and fine. I didn't marry her. Aspirational marriage characters. That's what I want in this movie. I guess so. I don't know that I, I don't know that I feel, I mean, uh, you know, aside from the abyss in which uh, Ed Harris is the most amazing man on the planet, but. Yes, he is. I'd marry him. I would marry the shit out of Ed Ed Harris in the abyss. Give me that. (laughs) You feel it? You're with me on this. Yeah. Yeah. It was a (sighs) one-way trip. It was a one-way trip. Oh, God. One-way ticket, baby. Oh, Oh, my God. Where were we? That's great. Andy, find the rails. Uh, So... (laughs) Well, let's let's jump into more of the cast since we're talking about Linda and how awesome Linda is. I, I have to say one um, one thing with her that I will for some reason it's stuck in my head. I'll never be able to divorce it when I watch this film. Now she buffed up so much in this film, and now every time I see her, all I can think about is there was a Saturday Night Live sketch that they had her on when she hosted at the time that this 
came out. And she's with this other, the, there's another woman and she, they're talking or something or at the grocery store. And this other woman is just getting so bitter and jealous about how, oh, how great it is that Hollywood pays you to, you know, to buff up like this. And, you know, this is like this little housewife who's jealous. And it was a fairly funny sketch. Um, but, um, I'm maybe ashamed like, I, of myself for never seeing this right now. I don't think Linda was a, a Saturday Night Live regular, but it was a pretty funny little sketch um, that she did. So well, she's awesome. So worth I'm sure, it yeah. Out. Uh, yeah. Check that out. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll see. We'll have to see if we can find it, and then we can put it in <laughs> show notes for this show, too. Uh, what about Arnie? But, yeah, oh, let's talk man. about a little bit of a Schwarzenegger. Can I get a judge's ruling on leather pants? Like, if you were costuming this now, would you would you go with the leather pants? Are you fucking kidding me? It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> you put leather pants on that sh- Yes. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to know. Are you serious? I'm, He's I'm, a biker. You put him in leathers. That's real. Yeah, no, that's, that's a real no, thing. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I just, you know. Do you? Do you get it? I don't know if you get it. I don't ride a bike. What can I say? I don't ride a bike. <laughs> well, obviously, then you're coming from a place that, you know, you don't understand. I'm more of a, I'm um, kinda, I'm more of a tracksuit guy. I'm more of a oh, Russian mobster. brother. Okay, can we talk about when he goes into that fucking bar? He goes into that bar and Dwight Yoakam is playing Guitars Cadillacs. Yeah. Yes. I also own... your shoes, right? your boots, and your motorcycle. Yes. Uh, I also maybe have that entire album of Dwight Yoakam's that's acoustic. So there, he plays the acoustic of that. So anyway, I fucking love that song simply because of this movie. Um, but I will have you notice on a special effects side... Um, when he goes into the kitchen and he says, I need your shoes, your boots, your motorcycle, the whole thing. Um, and the guy goes on to like the fryer. You can see him yeah. go on to the fryer. Yeah. You see like the little, the smoke shooters the on the smoke, side. Right. It always, yeah. like, I remember yeah. that always driving me nuts ever since being a little kid. And that's you know? the one thing that I've always noticed as well. I always see that it always looks fake. But I think, you know, growing up the way that I did with, you know, the blood and the smoke and the fire and the explosions, I was like, stop it. If a glass breaks early, I like get so pissed. Yeah, you you start noticing those things. You're around those people, and you notice those things, and it just it, it takes some of that magic. Away. Uh, I, yeah, I guess. I, yeah, if you're yeah, yeah, grew up in it. So that's an interesting scene, though, because the the they purposefully chose to not have Arnold kill anybody in the film because they didn't want to have him start killing people and then change because of John. They thought, well, he but he's already killed these people. So if you notice, he never actually kills any of those people in the bar. He only like sticks a knife through a guy's shoulder, throws a guy He just the, he just the, handsomely the maims them. He does. And he does it. You're right. It's very handsome that he does it. Yes. <laughs> But it's uh, it's great. But there's also some comedic elements in his intro here that we didn't get in the first one. And I was kind of like looking at it now. I'm like, you know, it's almost like they're giving us little hints that he might be good this time. As if the trailers hadn't already ruined that for us by the time uh, the movie came out. There's a line at the end of one of them where John is just like, it's that line where he's just like, you've got to promise not to kill anybody. I promise I will not kill anybody. And so you know that they're already together, working together. So it, it kind of took some of the mystery away. I, I will luckily say that I missed that part. Yes, lucky for you. Well, you're eight. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those things you're might not eight. stick as much. <laughs> But they do have some comedic stuff, like the moment when when the guy comes out with his shotgun is like, I can't let you take that guy's bike. And he comes up and he grabs the the shotgun away from him. And then he reaches up real quick and he pulls out the sunglasses, puts them on and bad to the bone kicks in. It's like, you know, there's a little bit of lightness with this guy. And and he was so intimidating in the first one. So I think they're they did a good job of kind of hinting that for us. But this is what I this is what I miss about action films in general. And this is such a terrific action film. um, And it's so wonderfully done. However, they're you're right, there are comedic elements about it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of the action films and th- like everybody kind of just sways to one side. It's like it's either all comedy or it's all 
drama or it's all action. Um, I really miss having that mix, you know, and I feel like that's why sort of the fast series has done so well because they are, they are action, but they, they have comedic elements with them as well, you know, and there, there are few action films that really, I don't, I don't know, just commit to different types of like drama and comedy at the same time. Well, and they had a they had there was a real risk here of turning a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger into a clown yeah. in this movie. I mean, that would that could have really gone south, making him the puppet of John Connor. Um, you know, they they ride that line so well in that sequence as he's teaching him, you know, the smile, right? Uh, and which is super you know, weird, be goofy, which is really weird. And <laughs> yet they, they he doesn't Schwarzenegger doesn't come off like a clown. He comes off like a robot that's trying to learn something. And doing it kind of badly. But it's short, it's funny, we move on and get back to the action. I thought that was great. They also balance the, uh, you know, just like the Fast and Furious franchise, like you said, all of these ones that work so well, they also have some good emotion in them. Yes. They balance that nicely with the action. Absolutely. And they have, they take a break for those moments. And the, the, the Fast franchise definitely had those. And they worked really well as they kind of created this family. Here, it's the same thing. And yes, sometimes... Cameron rides that line of some maudlin emotion, but I think he does it so well with with making everything so big that I think that's why his movies become just such big blockbusters because people really it's so easy to go all in with his films. Well, and it resonates I feel like it resonates with people too because it's like you within any given day of anyone's life, you know, you have dramatic you have like there there are hard things that happen and then there are funny things that happen five minutes later like this is this is how it works and so when you have films that address that it really engages an audience and i feel like that's why james cameron has done so well because he really knows people and it's a great contrast provides a great contrast to michael bay who goes all in on the action with zero heart Oh man, I like. I will say that I do love Michael Bay, but for other reasons. Like, if I want to like have eight thousand drinks and watch Armageddon and be like, I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not going to say it's the best action movie ever. But it, man, yeah. is it fun? Man, is it quotable? But is it good? It, Fuck no. It feels a very different place. <laughs> very <Yeah>. different place. <laughs> like, oh man. Uh, Robert Patrick is a T1000. Yes. All of it. I had never, I, I had seen Die Hard 2. I know he was in Die Hard 2 before this, but he was not one of those people that I, I pulled from it. So for me, this was really kind of my introduction to the Robert Patrick as the T-1000. Me and too. man, does this guy know how to play uh, just an, an evil malicious robot. And, and he runs with his mouth closed. Like everything he does, I'm like, this guy played it to a T. He was so good. He, he is so, he's just, he's just perfection in this film. It's insane. It is. It is just. It is just crazy. Have you seen this boy? Oh my god! His portrayal of this, again, was so fraught with risk to mm-hmm. put this this little guy up against Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's what I was just going to say. I was just going to mention about the size of his frame. His sort of sli- his sort of slight, but he has like a perfect posture. His the frame of his face, everything like his completely gait, different. His yeah. his structure, his stre- yet his strength 
and make him terrifying and unstoppable. Yes. A character that Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie is believably afraid of or apprehensive about, right? Like yes. he's the guy. He says, "We need to, we need to keep moving." I've I've done this with the ice truck thing, but we're going to need to go that way now, <laughs> right? That, that was a believable relationship between these two characters. I thought that was it. Just it was mind blowing. Then you throw in the the earth shattering at the time even today special effects of the the uh, uh, the liquid metal and uh, it was just there was there was nothing else i wanted to see oh it's so fucking good and i yeah. i even just remember like the action figures where they had like when i was a kid they had like the action figures of him spread apart and his sort of like weird metal bullet holes with, and everything it yeah was it was so giant, good you could get him in all the different yeah, stages, all the different the stages of it. yeah it was part. so yeah, terrific it was such a, a popular guy that he came back as the same cop in Wayne's World, which I thought was quite funny. Wayne's World, the first <laughs> Wayne's World? Yeah, he comes up as, a, he's a cop that I, pulls them over Oh, that's so funny. I have not Was it a say that's a nice bike that. moment? Yeah. I actually don't remember. It was, um, it was probably. Oh my God, I, I that's can't remember. So I know funny. he was in it, which is so uh, funny. You know, I just started, <laughs> uh, which is embarrassing. I just started watching The Sopranos like two days ago. I've never seen it. Don't say anything. Uh, I, and, I, I haven't either. Okay. <laughs> well, he, I'm in the same boat. That's okay. timely. Well, you know, like 15 years late, it's fine. Uh, right. But he comes up in like the second season. So he's one of the characters in the second season. And all I can think is just sitting there with like just Twitter painted with little like sparkly eyes being like, oh my God, T1000, what are you doing here? He's a busy guy too. I mean, he he's one of those guys who's just popping up all over the place. He's been on uh, Scorpion. Well, for, I mean, the man is since it started. He yeah. is completely engaging. He's a fantastic actor. You know, it's it's very yeah. few and far between. Now, what do you think of Edward Furlong? This is uh, his first performance. I mean, they found him off the street, uh, like in a YMCA. They they decided to cast him for this. in the Valley, probably. He's a screamer. Oh yeah, he's a screamer. He's his uh, his sort of like puberty pitch scream is the best. Uh, no, he's terrific. He's fantastic. I can't speak for his work after this, but uh, he is terrific for this role. He went through puberty uh, over the course of making this film, and there's one scene where you can still hear his prepubescent <laughs> voice. It's the scene where he it's it's in the uh, special edition where he and the Terminator are talking about. Um, uh, I, I, they're like at the camp, like going through weapons or something, and they're having kind of a quiet conversation. Can't remember exactly what it's about, but that's the one moment where you can kind of hear his prepubescent voice. But they actually had to go back, and after he had, toward the end of the film, they had to have him loop all the rest of his lines that he had done before he, his voice cracked, so that he sounded the same through the film. So you never uh, did you follow up with uh, American History X? Uh, I did watch American History X. I remember, I remember liking it. I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of Edward Norton. I will say it was it. That was just a uh, it was a tough movie to watch, uh, and it was one. It was it was one where you know, kind of the other big Edward Furlong. It's um, it's film. incredibly tough. He's incredible in it. Edward yeah. Furlong's actually incredible in it too. I'm just or not Edward Furlong. Um, Norton. Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. He is. Yeah. No, he's terrific in it. Yeah. It's that's a tough. It's a tough movie. It's definitely yeah. a tough movie. He is. He has also been busy with uh, you know sixty credits since since this film. He's still actively working. Not not a whole lot, but actively working. And um, he's you know th it's just such a funny story seeing where he came from uh, as as the 
as the young John. Well, and it's hard to it's hard to be in a position of starring in a movie so being you know being like a first movie and being so yeah. young and being so incredibly popular and then like and especially at that age and then where do you go from there? You know, it's um that's got to be and I I don't imagine to know how that is, but that's got to be hard for anybody. So I'm 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 happy that he that he continues to work and that he's doing good work. So it is always tricky. Anytime a kid makes it through the Hollywood system, I'm yeah. always I'm always impressed. I'm I'm happy that they've done it because I it it definitely has a habit of uh, chewing them up and spitting them out. Yeah, it's tough. It is very tough, and you know, and especially just in you know from my perspective uh, as a costume designer and having met a handful of actors who were once like child stars. It's a it's it's a completely different ball game in your dealings with them. It, it really, it really depends. And some of them are awesome. And some of them like haven't quite grasped um, the world. Earl Bowen plays Dr. Silverman. Yeah. He's, he's the, he was in the first movie and uh, he had, um, had a little bit in the third movie too. So he's uh, for the, our supporting characters. He's one of the only ones who's kind of actually made it through a number of these films. <laughs> Um, he's uh he's he's pretty awesome i i remember i went with um i went with my brothers this was god maybe a little over a year ago there was um there was a screening at the egyptian theater of terminator the first terminator and arnold was meant to be there i I think yeah arnold was supposed to be there he ended up getting sick so it was just it was the moderator and james cameron so we watched the first terminator and it was just james cameron speaking about it we were a couple rows back and it was like this is the most awesome thing ever watching the movie and having him talk about the whole the whole deal um but yeah it was uh it's it's pretty incredible and yeah he's notable in the first film for sure so it's really funny to see him again in the second one and like and just to not believe what she's saying is is pretty pretty interesting oh he's just terrible oh yeah he's, he's just terrible yeah he's so dismissive oh, it's yeah. just so funny because it's like he was there he was it's there like... <laughs> yeah oh uh. yeah no that's that it's like okay all right really yeah. classic doctors but he certainly uh gets a little bit of his comeuppance in this one so he is also busy i mean 256 credits uh, a lot in the last several years of video game uh, voice work uh, oh really uh, yeah he's he is well he's all over world of warcraft huh. and uh tales of monkey island the reboot of the monkey island series and uh, yeah so he's he, uh, he's done some um cartoon work too uh, a lot of voice work in in uh, cartoons that i did not know so, but he has a terrific voice so i would expect yeah. nothing less they're very distinctive now how was it uh seeing michael bean back in this uh, as kyle reese did you like those uh, the dream scenes that had been cut for the theatrical release or do you, are you one of the people who feels you know they should have stayed on the cutting room floor i don't know it's um yeah i kind of i kind of feel like they should stick with the original i don't i don't know that it really adds anything to to the film yeah it's one of those things for me where i mean i really like seeing kyle again because i just thought his character was great his relationship with sarah was great i feel like it works both ways like i I think you could almost have it both ways the dreams are fine i think you could yeah i mean the nice thing about having the dream is you get the you know him kind of saying that line again though you know no fate but what we make um that whole thing so that kind of gets introduced a little bit before we see her carving it into the table later um but yeah i don't know if we need it um then again i i I think there's just a nice a nice kind of comparison of her being kind of the crazy one and Kyle being the crazy one in the first one. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm torn as to how I feel about them. I, but, you know, I, I guess I'm fine with it. Honestly, I will say I feel like it kind of takes you out of it. 
You know, I, I mm. don't think it's necessary. I feel like it pulls you out and it pulls you into a direction that you don't necessarily need to be in. And it takes you away from sort of the, the simple story that you're meant to follow. I can see why they put it in there. I think for me, the problem is it, it reminds me of a weaker Sarah that I already don't want anymore. I think we're saying I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it takes it's yeah. a it's a problem for her character specifically. I could watch Michael Bean all day long. I well, think that no dude is incredibly charismatic. On Give me screen. that. Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, he's super cool. I like that Kyle Reese is back just in, in principle. But I, I do have a problem with what with what they do uh, with her character. I think it's damaging to her character. No, I, 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 I do too. I feel like um, I feel like she's progressed. I feel like we've committed to the fact that she's progressed and she's a yeah. different person now and to and to include those really kind of detracts from what she is and I and, and not in a good way. I think yep. it's disparaging, honestly. So what? Uh, so I mean, we've all seen uh, both versions clearly—the original cut and then the special edition. No, cut. Wait, I mean, I'm just talking um, shit. I don't know. I don't know what you guys trying. To... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, really. <laughs> special edition? What? What's that? <laughs> uh, do you have? Are there any scenes in the special edition that you that you like and feel? Um, are welcome additions to the film because it's because it's not called a director's cut james cameron doesn't call it a director's cut he still feels that the original one is the is the cut that he still prefers um although he says there's one specific scene that he does miss there is one scene that i love i'm not sure what the scene is but i will say that there's one scene that i love which is the scene with arnold in the mirror when they're in the garage Uh where they're pulling the bullets out of him that is my favorite that Absolutely. is that is the one scene that I'm sad about, and that's where they pull the chip out of his head to, yes. to switch the yes. the things to program him. And Sarah comes close to smashing right. the chip, and John stops him, stops her, showing that he's kind of that uh, future leader. Right. That is the scene that James Cameron also wishes that uh, was back in the cut. He really likes that, and he cut that for uh, for length. But other than that, he says he would be fine leaving the rest of it out. That, I'm with James Cameron. Yeah, me, no, me. That that it, well, that, <laughs> the funny thing is, like, that's the only scene that I can remember. You know what I mean? That's the only scene that yeah. I can remember. That it's like, God, that scene is fucking dope. Weren't there some more detail scenes around the the nuclear explosion and the, or was that in the original? The flaying of the skin and was she, yeah, that was all that was there. all in the original too. I yeah, I really yeah. that's the one I. I I feel like really, you know, does a disservice to the story and to Arnold's arc. I think you lose a lot of Arnold in the original because you don't know about that whole chip thing and about the yeah, learning you get robot. One line thing. that they wrote that one line is uh, in the original cut where it's just like, you know, the more I'm around humans, the more I can start adapting and acting like that. Yeah. I can't remember exactly because I haven't watched the original cut in quite a while. But they they wrote a specific line yeah. and they had Arnold say it, and that line kind of was what they're they used as an excuse to kind of show how he started learning but once you've seen this uh scene that just becomes just like a, a bogus attempt at trying to yep. make it make it make sense and it just doesn't work Back i mean this, that scene hole. i think yeah that's this scene is i think such a critical moment and i'm uh i mean i'm fine watching everything else in the special edition just so i can watch that one scene because i agree with you that scene is just it's it's a perfect scene that should no, be No that's the, the one and it should and it should be in the movie if i yes if i were to say anything from that like that should be in the movie because that after i saw that that re- i remember that really affecting me when i did finally see the special edition i was like what the fuck why is this not it, like this is amazing somebody else who lost a little bit of uh, screen time in this in the original cut was miles dyson there was more of him joe morton played uh, Miles Dyson and um, 
man, he's another character God, that he's I awesome. really love in this film. I love that he was written as kind of this family guy scientist. He's not like this mad scientist who's just like, oh, I'm inventing the destruction of mankind. Well, no, he just, just he just, it's like, it, you know, it's again, like not, you know, not to be the dick who compares like, you know, Fast Five to Terminator 2. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's just another asshole's name that came across my desk. You know, it's like, this is just the shit, like this just came into me. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. This would just... Here's some technology that fell in our lap, and we're going to do something with it. Like he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. know. It, it, that's exactly it. It's the chaos theory of the film. It's you never know what actions you never know what actions you're going to take that are going to change the the course of the world. Absolutely, I think that, he is that pivotal character, and he takes the change well. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his final moment when he's got that uh, his hands on the bomb to blow everything up, and he kind of just has that little nod to Sarah, like I know what I have to do. It's just like, that was such a great moment. You didn't have to go into anything long. It's just a nice, simple moment. And you get a really interesting arc created yes. for Miles Dyson. And it's just like, that is exactly what we miss out of so many other actors. But this, but this harkens back to the point of just simplicity. You know, it is just, yeah. it is just the more simple, because the more simple the story is, the more you get from your from your actors the more you get from everything in the film the more the more you can really see when something is simple when you can when you start to add like 18 different storylines everything's convoluted like people tap out like give it one simple core story and how come this has not been surpassed in the past 25 years because it's simple and it's fucking dope the second i'll take the second one first it is fucking dope guys it is dope yes (laughs) i uh i uh, the, I you know I present the T two challenge. Bring me something that's better. I you can't. well, you're certainly not going to get a better, a better final breath out than you do out of Joe Morton when he's dying. It's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that stuck with me for years. I was like, if I go, I'm going like Joe Morton. I'm taking every bit of it's air true. that I can get. Well, that and you know, there's one chip left. There's one chip left. Yep, yeah, right. Right. And where is that other hand? Yeah. Oh, Joe. There, yeah. you know, there's one chip left, and we've got Jason Tross crying to death. He's crying to death. Four-year-old, <laughs> poor little four-year-old Jason Tross has to be carried out of the theater. Terminator's dead. Such a great moment, the little thumb, though. I mean, I gotta say. It- what I really wish is that action films now would have a sense of humor. And there, there are some that do, um, but like have a very clear, concise story, but have a sense of humor. Like fucking romancing the stone, any of these things. It's like it's crazy. It's a romantic comedy. It's whatever. But like action comedy. Where is action comedy? Yeah, they've taken a very dark turn. Yeah, in, in action. It's very sad. It's a very gritty. Yeah, even see even superhero films. They get very dark and dark and gritty and uh, the yeah, same. Not so pleasant. Well, but it's just the same story over and over and over again. And also like. You you kind of you need those comedic moments, those real life moments, in order to kind of lift you out of what has just happened, you know, and to keep your audience right, yeah. with you. And it, it's it's so weird to me um, the shift that's happened in the last I don't know ten fifteen years or so um, because movies were never like this before. There's some good twin work in this film. Yes, a couple of good uh, twins. Yes. Lin- Linda Hamilton's uh, sister, her twin sister, is in it as uh, playing her Leslie. And we've get we get uh, Don and Dan Stanton as the guards. <laughs> That's in true. The, the yeah, one thousand. I love that uh, they they pull the old twin gag true. with us to, uh, to make some of this work in a, a much cheaper way. Uh, yeah, I got a full house. It must be my lucky day. <laughs> Although, if <laughs> you look right. at the cards on the cup, he's wrong. It's not a full house. <laughs> well, it's still his lucky <laughs> he day. To, he needs to learn his poker. <laughs> Um, they were oh, terrific. Uh, uh, Dean Norris, it was good to see him as the SWAT team leader. Right. Now that, 
What a, what a breaking great character. Bad is, uh, breaking Bad yeah. is so good for him. Uh, anybody yeah. else in the cast? <gasps> we do? Well, Jeanette Goldstein, Private Vasquez. She is one of the greatest chameleon character actors out there. She's so uh, killer. Janelle. I, man, I love her. She is amazing. Yeah. Oh, she's terrific. Uh, and of course, Xander Berkeley is Todd, uh, foster father. Uh, who is also crazy busy right now. 227 credits. He's always busy. <laughs> Dude. Just, you guys, I love I a, love you guys with like your names and your credit counts. It's, it's, uh, well, it's how we keep score. <laughs> it's how you keep score. What are you going to do? That's right. That's uh, right. I love seeing Danny Cooksey pop up, and maybe that's just because I loved seeing him on different strokes as a kid <laughs> and seeing him, <laughs> seeing him as, uh, as, uh, as John's buddy. On the bike, I just, I just love that. Oh man, yeah, he was good. so fun! That mullet is insane. Yeah, that's like, like that's like top five all time mullets. Like just, yeah. just bright red ginger natural. You know? <laughs> it grew, it right. grows that yeah. way. Yeah, it's terrible. It actually oh, grows man. short in the front and long yeah, in the back. No, just the carrot. Awesome. Just the carrot. Oh, poor little guy. Carrot top mullet. Oh, that's Gotta awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about getting it made, Andy. Uh, how did uh, this had some trouble? This was. Yeah, this was a tough film to get made, surprisingly. Um, but, you know, I guess that kind of stems from when a film gets started kind of in an independent way. I mean, the first film, um, it it had, a, I mean, it was a small film, $6.4 million budget. I mean, it's still pretty, pretty fair. But it was Orion Pictures. And of course, Orion kind of, uh, you know, ended up stumbling. And I, I think somehow Hemdale uh, Film Group or... Uh, yeah, Hemdale ended up with the rights to the franchise. And then Carol Co. was trying to get the rights. And Mario Kassar from Carol Co., um, uh, Arnold had a conversation with Mario. And Arnold said, you just got to buy it. You just got to bid on it and buy it and just get it done with. And it took a while. But I guess Mario ended up having to pay $5 million for the franchise rights. Um, I don't know how that fares anymore. I don't know. Since Carol Co. is not around, I don't know if Mario then had to sell it. Because I don't know Carol who's been releasing Co. Carol Co., I will say, Carol Co. is trying to come back. Are they really? Well, wasn't um, I think it was T three <laughs> was released as C two right. pictures, which was kind of the I think it was part of uh, a Carol Co comeback. All I know is from seeing um, James Cameron speak about the first one is how much of a motherfucker the first one was to get made, like how impossible the first one was to get made, and so uh-huh. for whatever trials and tribulations the second one had, it, it probably does not hold a candle to the first. The small um, a small budget, huge sci-fi story something like that i can imagine is kind of tricky to kind of get people sold on yeah but um yeah this one this one you know once they got through these legal disputes they started getting going with it i think um they ended up starting production in october 1990 and they shot for 186 days is what i read which is seems like a pretty uh hefty production schedule and at the time this this ended up being the most expensive film made. This was the first film to go over the over the one hundred million dollar mark. It cost one hundred two million dollars to make this film, and I yeah, that was a huge story because people were like what hundred million dollars to make a movie worth every goddamn penny. <laughs> they brought Adam Greenberg back to shoot it. We already talked about him. Um, he shot the first one as well. How how are the costumes? Is come somebody from the costume world? What do you think of the costumes? Um, in this the film? costumes are fucking terrific. I love everything about it. Um, I believe I check my little references right this second. Um, I believe it was Marlene Stewart, but then I, yeah. I don't want to be the. It first. was. Okay. Yeah. She was busy this year too okay. in '91. Um, she's busy all the time. She's busy now. I mean, uh, Marlene is doing uh, the new Fast movie right now, Fast Eight. Like wow, uh, oh, is like she? Yeah, today, you know. So, 
Like, the chick's busy. Well, she did The Doors, JFK, and this. They were all released in 91. So, yeah, she had a pretty uh, busy stretch of time she's, right around She's there. pretty busy most of the time, yeah. Um, wow. They're, yeah, they're fucking terrific. And, you know, you got these people talking about how, you know, what are you talking about, leather pants? And the leather pants are in there and they're perfect. These, these people. So, you know. <laughs> these people is me. These people. <laughs> I'm a these people. Uh, what would you, I, what would you suggest? I don't, I, no, what would you I don't suggest? Even go, I, what would you replace it with? I how am could not, you, a, exactly. I am not a costume professional. Well, yeah, but you're, you're, you know, you're a patron, you're a viewer, I, you're an audience I member. wear sweatpants all day. But you're not the Terminator. Would you expect the Terminator <laughs> to not wear leather pants? I expect him to be flexible. Imagine if he had, if he had landed not by a biker bar, uh, but next to like an LA uh, fitness. I will say that leather, <laughs> leather can be incredibly malleable, by the way. See, I would not have known that. Yes, it can be incredibly show. flexible. That's, that's delightful. Because it is, you know, you're just wearing another piece of skin. So, yes, it will move. And now it just, there was now it's gross. It, it, you know, I won't bring up the Silence of the Lambs quotes, but you can imagine. Because you know what happens. It gets the hose again. <laughs> 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 well, wasn't it? It was Mad Max where uh, Fury Road, where the costume designer, um, she's a, like an animal rights activist, isn't she? And she did all like non leather leather in that film. Is that right? I, you know, that's the first I've heard of that, but that's really impressive if she did that. That's awesome. Well, maybe I'm just thinking because I know she wore like a leather jacket to the Oscars when she won, and but it was a non leather <laughs> leather outfit that she was wearing. It was like that pseudo. Uh, animal safe leather and so I, then i thought i heard that she had done the same thing on the film but well maybe what I'm i will say is that leather that. is leather leather is made from an animal hide or a skin of some sort um if it's not leather it is a different fabric such as like a vinyl or a pvc or something else yeah it's something that was made to look like leather though i don't know what they call that but they call it vinyl or pvc <laughs> i think we just learned something else i think we did <laughs> we <laughs> talk <it>. about <laughs> Let's let's uh, get away from my uh, embarrassing lack of knowledge about leather. Let's talk about Stan Winston and the stuff that this magic man does. I mean, the the Arnie, uh, the puppet that they have for him when he's like getting his face blown off and all of his skin is flapping everywhere. I didn't see that part. When he's when he's walking out, I don't know what you're the, talking uh, about. You, you, oh oh, for you, it only exists as Arnold. I understand. <laughs> I don't even know what 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 gig is jig is up here. I... <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want yeah, to believe dude, that it was ever awesome. anyone but Arnold. No, it's oh. awesome. Are you kidding me? It's incredible. When they go to fucking Dyson's house and he like slices his hand and pulls back the whole arm and you see the robot arm and then they have to be like, now let's talk, motherfucker. Yes. Oh. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> well, I love the way they set that up too. It's because go ahead, show him, hands him the knife. Yeah. Because they know. Okay, what right you're gonna do right now? is you're going to guarantee a lifetime of therapy for a whole family. They are You're going to destroy them psychologically by peeling off the skin of your arm. Go ahead and show them that. That's okay. We're not worried about that. Movie. I love that. But that's out the window. Like, we're talking about Judgment Day. Like, Judgment Day surpasses, exactly. it like, usurps any sort of emotion. So, like, Judgment Day. <laughs> but, by, but by stopping Judgment Day... That family will now go through therapy for the rest of their that's lives. That's fine, but they've not been nuked within an inch of their <laughs> well, life on true. August 29th, so they're so, fine. You're welcome. True. Have you ever been to a that Judgment Day party? I or, or have you thrown <laughs> one, I should ask? Have you ever thrown a Do you throw well, a regular? And I, why haven't we been invited? Okay. On August 29th? Well, yeah. I, Don't you, haven't you been to a Judgment Day party? Well, I have. It's called my older brother's birthday. <laughs> 
Um, my brother Brandon Tross, his birthday is August 29th, so we live in the land of judgment. Nice. That's so cool. Oh, I want to legally so change funny. my birthday. Yeah, and then my mom's birthday, uh, which is funny because it just happened last year, is Back to the Future when they go to the future, October 21st, 2015. That is my mother's birthday. You guys are so in the right industry. And all I get is a tsunami. No big deal. Great. Oh, Oh. Well, I'm sure you can make a movie about that one day. They you already know, did. All, all, it's called The Impossible, and right. it's beautiful. See, see, oh, that's right. It was. Oh, yes, that it was. was a tough one. Yeah, too. it was a tough one. What were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Movies. We're talking oh, about Stan, Stan Winston. Winston. So here's the <laughs> thing about the Stan Winston. The I I think one of the things that that is so beautiful about this film is that it is not uh, that that the the handoff between practical and visual effects are is really good the, between CGI and practical. I didn't get a feeling. There were a couple of times where I got this feeling that there was. I'm I'm definitely aware of the mannequin head. I'm aware of the robot head is not Arnold. You know when he's getting his head smashed by the right. thing. That's you know I I was aware, but it didn't. It it never took me out of the film. Well, yeah, that's the thing. There are a couple moments. Um, but it'll it'll never take you out. Like again, like you just said, I will reiterate what you just said. You you will be aware of it, but it doesn't take you out in the same way that like let's say any superhero movie, any other action movie does now, where it just looks like a cartoon. Like in yeah. in that era, visual effects were meant as a supplement. You know, so you did everything practically, anything you could not do practically or you couldn't complete practically, you supplemented with visual effects, and that's why it's so brilliant. I really don't understand where we're at now uh, because people do respond so much differently as an audience to practical, just practical elements, you know, whether it's like, even if it's a model, you still know that it's a model. There's something for like, for me, I would much rather see a model or a painting that's very well done as opposed to something that's completely computer generated. Another great Stan Winston moment. Uh, and we've talked about the scene already. It's, it's where they remove the chip from the Terminator's head and they have that fake mirror. They set that up so well with with real trickery, having that fake mirror and the twin of of uh, Linda in the back and Arnold in the back and Edward in the front and Arnold and Edward's uh, lookalike in the back. And then they have the Arnold model with the head, the hole in his head, right in front of you. And so as you come down and you look at the hole and you see them pulling this whole thing out, you're like, they just pulled. They they like pulled this thing out of Arnold Schwarzenegger's yeah. head. I mean, it's yeah. so flawless yeah. the way they do it. And all of the magic of cinema and the way they pull this whole trick on you and the magic of what Stan Winston's created with this head and how they're pulling this whole tube out of the head to get to this chip. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, it really is movie magic. It's truly fantastic to look at. And it's still, what is this over, this like 25 years ago. Yeah, it's right. smart filmmakers. Right. Yeah. Again, like I said earlier, smart filmmakers who know how to use the tools in the right way to enhance the story, or like you said, to supplement right. the story. However, uh, what I will say, which is a little bit depressing, is if this were released, something of the same ilk were released today, would people appreciate it? Well, I think I don't it know. was, and they didn't. Terminator Genesis was released, and it, they didn't appreciate it. I said it. of the same ilk. Oh, right. <laughs> like I forgot the, ilk. Using the same effect. <laughs> Well, along the lines of the uh, of Stan Winston, there's also some amazing stunt work in this. Pete, you wrote a note about Pete Kent. Yeah, I, I was just I, you know when I I saw the the uh, the stunt right. It's the stunt where the the Arnold is jumps out of the little crazy truck and jump runs up on the the semi that's chasing them and sh- fires the machine gun holding on to the 
to the the roof rack of the semi right into the T1000's face and uh, you know I thought I you know I, that's that's pretty cool I'm sure that was you know some sort of composite miniature or something and then I saw the making of and there is Peter Kent no wires no trusses no swing arms nothing jumps out of that truck runs up onto the thing holding on firing uh that that is just one of those stellar fantastically dangerous pieces of stunt work that i think is just absolutely worth shouting out the only thing for me to rival this uh was when the dark knight came out so when the dark knight came out and they had so many stunts that were actually real stunts and it just it warmed my little t2 heart and you know when they when they flip they do you know an ass over end of a full fucking semi-trailer going over the top i was like Oh, the yeah. little special effects girl in me just lost it. I was like, this is this is fucking incredible. And they yeah. did that. This is practical. You can see it and they did it and uh, oh. The uh so you know, apart from wire removal, all the the practical stuff, I think you know, we mentioned the stunt bike off the canal bridge oh, and the I mean it's just that's terrific. like my favorite stunt of all time, I think. Well, and let's not forget the helicopter actually flying under, under the, the bridge. No shit, it's so good. <laughs> Those are some seriously talented uh, pilots. Man. I mean, it's just amazing. It's, it's like a pair of brothers or something that they that they uh, would do these uh, helicopter things. One would film with the the filming copter, and the other would do. The God, stuff that's crazy. Made. Both of them. Um, it's, it's just nuts. Amazing. What they did. It's. The uh, in that sequence, the T one thousand has extra arms. You know, the, the, the in the helicopter, mm-hmm. yeah, the T one thousand has the extra arms. So for twenty six years, five years, I have believed that that was some, that that was uh, uh, an error, and I only it only just occurred to me this viewing that in fact he's made of liquid metal and could in fact manifest extra arms, uh, knives and stabbing weapons. Yeah, I know, I know, but is that ridiculous? <laughs> like, I watched that, and I was so proud of myself when I was like nineteen. I was like, "Oh, you can see the extra arm down there as he's oh reloading God. his gun." I'm like, "What a dope! Who was that kid who, who saw that?" I and so I saw it again this time. I was like, "Oh, there's that third arm because oh, liquid metal, oh, right. I'm an idiot. Don't let that don't let that kid out with people." <laughs> One of the uh, one of our very favorite sites, and Andy, I have to, I owe you an apology. I got too excited, and I went ahead and and went That's to this fine. particular website. Our very favorite of websites is the Internet Movie Firearms Database. Uh, are you familiar with this? No, but I should be. Apparently, you should. Yeah, you really should. So uh, it's, the, it's a really fun movie site to look at. <laughs> oh man, it's a great little rat hole. Uh, it turns out there are thirty two different firearm families uh, used in this. Um, in this film, uh, there is some wonderful behind-the-scenes footage. I think on the DVD or the special edition of of them actually doing, showing all the cast doing the training, and and uh, a great line as as Cameron is shooting the minigun. Uh, oh, Arnold's gonna love this, you know, as he's that's that's the gun he shoots outside of the uh, out of the side of the building. Um, the uh, so it, there is a, a great selection of. Of guns. This is obviously the M134 handheld minigun. This is the very same gun, the very same prop used uh, in T2 from Predator, uh, which is also awesome. Uh, And not only that, the future guns that are used in the opening 2029 sequence are Ruger AC556 is fitted into muzzle light bullpup stock. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Same props used in the original Total Recall. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, because Total Recall was also on the top of my list to talk about. So, yeah, 
Oh. There it is. There it is. Andy, did you were there any guns that you got excited about? Because I feel like I owe you a platform because I was too excited. <laughs> it was the minigun that uh, that he uses, which I think is just fantastic. Because typically, that's not one you handhold. I don't think many people are <laughs> capable of probably handholding one of those and, and shooting it. But with that one, I think I, I uh, they were saying something like, that thing shoots, is it like 6,000 rounds a minute? It's something insane. They had to slow it down so that the... Um, so they could see the muzzle flashes because it was so fast. Well, so that, th- well, so that and also so that the muzzle would melt. Yeah, it's it's insane how fast uh, this thing yeah, is. Yeah, you you have to you have to give it breaks. That that is the magic of human engineering. <laughs> like this is that uh, that might as well be a lightsaber. It shoots oh, so fast. Jesus, like, that's brilliant. And it's the only it's the only gun that could actually make the Terminator smile, which I think is just a great <laughs> little moment. That's definitely you. <laughs> well, he's you know he's been practicing. Just a quick aside, we were talking about um, other movie nods that uh, this movie has. Um, we should mention that the gas station that they stop at um, is a, I think it was a Benthic Petroleum from The Abyss. From the Abyss, yeah. It's, it's the, a nod to the company from The Abyss. Oh, that I didn't know. And the chemical that they use to blow up um, Cyberdyne is the chemical that everybody's injecting in Outland, Pete, that, uh, um, from the uh, film that... Uh, uh, the Connery film, the Sean Connery film. Holy shit! It's the same that chemical just... from from his buddy because he James Cameron's buddies with um with I'm blanking on the filmmaker now who did Outland, but um that but, is uh, mind blowing. <laughs> Andy and threw that little nod in there. Isn't oh, that great? That's awesome. That's fantastic. I, what I love is that you can love something so much and still learn about it. Yeah, I, I was actually worried you know? going into this film because I thought, well, don't we already really know all about this? This is Peter Hyams. Is, uh, Peter Hyams, yes, yes, yes. Um, but that, that, is, uh, that just blew my mind. Fun little That's nod. That's awesome. Wow. That is crazy. How do you guys like the music? Uh, Brad Fidel's uh, score, he came back as the composer for this after doing it for the first uh, film. The music is fucking impeccable. You know, the nice thing about Perfect. the music is... In a film that is about a metal, or just like these metal terminators that that come in and destroy you, having this like electronic score that is just like it's, it's like propulsive. It's got pounding stuff in it. I mean, it just it really fits perfectly for for this film and for these the, well the, this pair of films really. You know that to this day when I knock on a door, I go when I knock on somebody's door. <laughs> So That's awesome. I will say the importance of a motherfucking theme song. Like, what happened to that? By yeah. the way, can we talk about what the fuck happened to a theme song in any in like? It can be a comedy. It could be like a Harry Potter. It could be anything. What happened to a theme song? Discuss. Yeah, we're losing. It got it. subverted yeah. by the score, losing. by the mood. Bullshit. Where is a the theme song? Theme songs. Are they, like that, you can't. But I'm not saying I agree. Yeah, but it's like you can't. I can hum Terminator 2 in a second. I can hum Jurassic Park. You can pick up like Cutthroat Island, any of that. Like there, there is a distinctive theme. What I really miss is having an actual theme song uh, in films. I think that uh, a perfect example is the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think I could hum a single theme from any of those because they don't have I don't one. Think that. No, they they they're very weak, and I just don't know. I don't know what's happening to uh, to them. I don't know why. I mean, they're they're they should have big themes, and and they just don't. They should. They should have. They should have. They should have big orchestrated themes. They should be. You know, they sh- honestly they should have that, and usually they're all done with some kind of horns or some kind of like something just fucking awesome. Like Conan, awesome. Basil Poldoris, awesome. 
where is it? Where where the fuck is it? Yeah, where where did it stop too? Because I mean, even yeah uh, yeah pinpoint. I would like to pinpoint. Which if I had my brother here, I'm sure he would tell me exactly the moment when it died. But um, we talk about this a lot. But like, where did it stop? And I feel like it was after maybe the second or third Harry Potter installment when he had a theme song and then it went. Um, and when you know when do you have those themes? You know, I will say they are out there still, but they're not in the films that. Um, that we want them to be in. I mean, I think that you look at something like How to Train Your Dragon, and I mean, the themes in that film I think are actually really strong. I this is uh, and, this is a sore point because I've not seen either of them, and I know I need to, and I'm I'm embarrassed. Oh, well, I, I definitely check it out, and the music in How to Train Your Dragon. I mean, that was I was blown away by the by the scores for those two films. So yeah, so it, it, that's the thing is I think they're out there, but these are the like like the Marvel movies, like those are the ones we want them in and they're just not appearing in them for some weird reason. Yes, however, I will say that your reference like How to Train a Dragon, which is terrific, um, but that is pretty, I mean, they're, they're dependent on a theme song that is, you know, that's an animated feature. They're meant, they are meant well, to have theme songs, you know, and um, it, well, yeah, because they're, they're so dependent on like character themes. Yes. So that is what they are meant to have. And it's terrific that they do, thankfully. But yeah, any, and maybe that's why I have sort of an aversion to the newest superhero franchises, because like, I can't identify with any of them. It's like, I can't discern anything. <laughs> no, I can't. There's no, ba, no, ba, 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 no, exactly. No, that's, seriously. Like yeah, if, if there yeah, were, right, if right. there were a Tony Stark motherfucking theme song where it's like, here's Tony Stark's theme song. Here's here's they totally crapped out on Tony Stark's theme song because they went with I am Iron Man. Like they, I, no, no, they no. But that's not. The, but that's not. You know what I mean? It's like where I is do know what you mean. where is that sort of impressive orchestrated theme song that's like eight notes that tells me exactly who this is? Like which you know existed from the dawn of cinema until the last five years. Like what happened? I don't know. And where is know. it? Where shift, is it? Yeah, Find shift it. in the uh, composing world yeah. that uh, it's it's very uh, lacking for for at least the three of us. Well, and there are still I think there are still some composers that can do it. I mean, I, you know, it, here's an ironic twist. Uh, the uh, who's the the guy who did all the the Pixar things uh, that we like Michael Giacchino. Michael Giacchino did the theme song to Space Mountain, the updated Space Mountain at Disney World. It's actually quite catchy. Oh, that's awesome! I've not been. Yeah. You're, oh, yeah, it's, fun. it's really good. Is it the same as Hyperspace Mountain at Disneyland? I would. I, uh, it was I before it was Hyperspace. Before Mountain. Hyperspace Mountain. Is that a new thing now? Oh, yeah. of course. Because it's the, been years since Star Wars. Yeah, Hyperspace Mountain is uh, just the Star Wars thing, which is fucking dope. Again, with a theme, you get on, and all of a sudden they start playing the Star Wars theme, and you're like, I'm going to cry. This is so great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I so need to get out there. Oh, you got to do it. Oh, it'd be so Um, loud. All right. Uh, Look, where where do we go? Where are Andy Rails? Uh, uh, Sound, the sound design in this, um, it's just pretty stellar. I mean, it it was nominated for, uh, I think, six Oscars. It won for Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, Best Makeup, Best Visual Effects. Uh, Cinematography and film editing both lost to JFK. But the sound in this film, I think it's, uh, it's... pretty rock solid and i think in home theater systems i mean i just watching it now i practically like knocked the house down the, uh, the sound <laughs> was so good well and this was one of those movies like this movie and uh twister, twister. and I, the, these were those movies no 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 now hear me out wait wait hear me out no just a friend of mine's in twister that's that's funny you know sean whalen the actor sean whalen yes yes he's a good friend of ours oh that's awesome oh, yeah. also in okay. the fp have you fucking seen the fp you need to do this <laughs> 
<laughs> we're gonna have an. I I demand it. We're gonna have another podcast where you have seen the FP, and we can. Yeah, then we can really, really. Yeah, talk we, then we can be friends. Then we can be friends. Um, right now, we're just acquaintances. <laughs> So the sound in this one, I'll never forget the theater that I went. Uh, these were the first movies that I, I attended that actually had a warning up front saying that this movie's sound may be too dynamic, too dramatic, too loud. So for... I'm sorry. Wait, yeah. I'll, you're saying this and all I can envision is Grandpa Simpson sitting in the chair. Well, right. Turn it yes. up! <laughs> That's right. And, and that is what burns. Because, of course, what am I going to say? It's R-rated and it's too loud? Please, I guess I should go roller skate? No. <laughs> I, I'm going to see it seven times today. I want a ticket for every showing. It was absolutely mind blowing. And then the the DVD release. This was one. This for the longest time was the the DVD test film that you put in to test your sound system because right. it was. I think wasn't it like the first THX certified DVD? I have no uh, idea. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe I, I don't. I didn't look on the history of that. I, but, uh, I think very well it could have was. Been. It was bananas. Uh, just the I, well. It was great. Yeah, I mean, the sound is just so good. And in a film like this, it needs to be. And I think rightly, they won the Oscars for that. And Gary Reitstrom, who was involved in the sound in both the sound editing and sound mixing, is just one of those sound guys who does really impeccable work. So, uh, I mean, the names that uh, people in, were involved in this film, I mean, it just you, you go down the list and it's just rock solid people from beginning uh, to end. We already kind of talked about the, the whole series um, and the fact that... The, <laughs> <laughs> These two are the only that exist in your yeah. eyes. Um, did you, by any chance, though, see the T2 3D Battle Across Time? I think it was a ride at, uh, was it Universal that had this ride? I believe it was. I maybe did that. There was, um, no, you know what? I think it was a T2. It was like an effects show thing. Oh, they might have had one of those, too. Um, but they did a ride, and they actually got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Edward Furlong and Linda Hamilton to all come back and be in this video um, <laughs> for this uh, for this this 3D and at the time it was like they they brought them back and they actually um, they go th- into the the future and they blow up Skynet in the future and it's kind of a, a fun little thing I found it on YouTube and I rewatched it um, so it's kind of a fun thing to revisit it's it's one of those things where it's like okay they're pulling the whole 3D thing because I think at the time this was one of the first 3D rides and i think it was such a huge thing you know i um my dad used to work uh i live like five minutes away from universal studios right now um but like my dad used to work there when we were kids um and he would be on the lot and so us as kids would just be like fuck this and so we would just go like sneak into universal studios because like the um I don't know, the exit gates or whatever aren't locked. So you can just like walk in from the lot. And so we as little kids, like 13 years <laughs> old, would just be like, all right. And we would walk in there and go just like fuck around at Universal Studios. And I think that's probably the era in which I saw the T2 like fire show ride situation that they had there. So that's what I remember from it. Gotcha. That gotcha. and writing Jurassic Park about a million times when it first opened. Is it still there? It is still here. Yeah, it's still here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just couldn't remember. It had been because uh, I I rode that also. I think pretty close to when that ride. Yeah, I just out, but, I uh, went um, last month because they just opened the new Harry Potter world, of which I'm a tremendous fan, and it is awesome. Well, this has been a it's been a great talk. Really, <laughs> laundry list of things I've never done. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> what you know? All right, we got awesome. it. Let's power through this. What are we doing? Uh, what are we, we you talked about awards? Um, I already kind of ran through the Oscars. Yeah, it, it lost uh, only those two to JFK. And like I said, 
I really feel that this would have been a a strong year for Linda Hamilton to get a nomination. Should have. Alas. Yep. Let's just see if we think that uh, she did better than the, the 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 five actresses. Oh, this was the uh, the Jodie Foster Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah, no. Oh yeah, nope. That's that's fair. That's fair. And then Gina Davis, Thelma and Louise, Susan Sarandon, Thelma and Louise, Bette Midler for the boys, and Laura Dern, Rambling Rose. Yeah, I I'd be happy to cut some of those out and put uh, Linda Hamilton. Yeah. in. I don't know. Silence of the Lambs was also probably on my list. Like that's I fucking love Silence of the Lambs. It's amazing. I, I'm not saying I would cut Jodie Foster no. off. I would still give the award to her because that, yeah, that's one of my favorites. It's, oh, it's incredible. But, uh, hey, we should jump into the numbers, Andy. How did it end up doing? We talked about uh, you talked about it's a, a hundred and six some odd hundred million dollars to to make. This was released. Uh, this was one of the big Fourth of July weekend movies, July third, nineteen ninety one. This movie came out. It was oh my god, hundred and two million dollars to make this film. I couldn't find anything as far as its prints and advertising that would have obviously increased the budget. But all told, that budget adjusted for today's dollars would be about um, 174.5 million. So um, it's a, that's a hefty budget still. Not yeah, as big which as... means that you know, I you guys, I worked on Fantastic Four, yeah. which was exactly that same budget. It should be should be just that good. as good of a movie. Absolutely, yeah. it should have been. Um, this film ended up making at the box office 204.8 million domestically and 315 internationally. For a total of about five hundred twenty thousand or five hundred twenty million adjusted, that's about eight hundred ninety million. So this film did pretty well for itself at the box office. It ended up making an adjusted profit per finished minute about five point two million per finished minute, and that's the original cut. Um, this film was the number one. Did film. you just say per finished yeah. minute? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck is that? That's how much money this movie made. For every minute of film. No, I understand. Yeah. I mean, it's more of like just, rhetorical. Like, that's a real thing. You want thing. us to slow down and do it again? <laughs> that's just, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> that's something we do as a way to compare the different you movies guys, that we talk about. What are you doing with your days? That's insane. I know. It's pathetic. It really is. But, <laughs> but this was the highest grossing film of 1991 and the highest grossing film still in Schwarzenegger's career. Well, just wait. Andy, really? on the yeah. Where does that put it in, the, really? in terms of the uh, total gross on the spreadsheet? This film ended up being the number one film of the films that we've done on the Speakeasy. This is the top ranked film. It beat out Casino Royale. That's right. As the, uh, as the highest grossing adjusted profit per finished minute. So this film is now number one. At the top of the list. It, so, it uh, just won on a metric you didn't even know existed until just now. <laughs> <laughs> I call that a oh, double win. Brother. Let's nope. uh oh, let's go. brother. Have you guys have you guys had to talk about this one no. before or no? No. No, no this that's is our the first whole time. point. Really? We, we yes, no, we have not talked about it. I know. Wow. No judgment free zone. Haven't we been over this? Well, no, I was just about to say I'm so much more interesting than everybody else, obviously. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let's take, I think well, we need... every single film that you said you want to talk about, I think it would be a perfect addition to the show. <laughs> except, for, except for Back to the Future 3. Hey, no, I would be no, happy stop, to talk about that Stop one. it. Stop it. I guarantee you guys, I fucking guarantee you, you go back, you watch it in succession, you watch that movie, and you will change your little sweet tunes. I, I'm in your camp on that one. I, I do. I, gar- I guarantee it. A lot of people have watched it from a lo- long, far ago. Like people have this weird stigma about this film. You go back and watch this film and it is just the fucking pacing and the quirks. And like it is it really is just like this love story with Doc Brown. Like it's terrific. I know you're making a face. I can see it. But it is. 
I promise you. <laughs> okay. All right. Duly noted. I will. I will do it again. I'll watch. I it promise again. you. Uh, I, I doubt it. I, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You say things when you're on a podcast. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Ouch. Okay, I'm going home. Oh, Let's. Uh, I say we get in there and rank it. Yes, let's do it. So we're going to do the flick chart, uh, Sarah. This is what we had talked about. Oh, this is oh, the where, so the flick I, chart. Do you I don't need to, to do anything. Somewhere? You just just this is this is just for our listeners' information. For those who haven't done this, you head over to flickchart.com uh, slash the next reel, and that's where you'll find. Is that for me? To no, do? you know you Should don't I have do to. I'm not too? talking to you. I'm talking to the people. Oh, oh, oh you're not talking <laughs> to me. Great, great. Back to the future so, yeah. three. Now we're not friends <laughs> it. The line must be drawn <laughs> here. No further. Uh, so you head over to, to flick chart. But if we could figure out a way to push it. <laughs> Ugh, anyone. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel and you sign into your accounts. Please sign in. And uh, then you're going to search for this very movie. Uh, you're going to search for it. Uh, Terminator 2 uh, Judgment Day and say rank it. And that's where it's going to start. And, and our first ranking is, uh, Andrew. To kick it off, we're going to do Terminator 2 Judgment Day or The Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, uh, Terminator Fantastic, 2 Judgment uh, Day. Fantastic Rennie Harlan film, but Terminator 2 definitely takes it here. Sarah? I mean, I've heard of I've heard of Rennie Harlan. I, I never saw Cutthroat Island. It's fine. Next up, Terminator 2 Judgment Day or Boogie Nights. Sarah? That's, they're not even in the same <laughs> I know. classification. No, there's no... However, Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights is fucking fantastic. You're um, on an island. You're on a desert terrific. island. You get, a, you get a, a, a video machine of some sort and a television, and that's it. You only have these two movies to choose from. What do you put on? I'm not fucking watching Marky Mark on a desert island. So, yeah. When else no. are you going to watch Marky Mark? I would uh, one, one Not on a desert one. island. Fair enough. I'm also going to be T2 on this one. Yeah, Terminator <laughs> 2 for me. Kidding. <laughs> no. All right. It's getting tough it's now. It's a terrific film, but it's not. No, no, no. Terminator 2, <laughs> Judgment Day, or Fight Club? Terminator 2, Judgment Day. <laughs> I, I love your... I don't know your... if I'm going to be able to, to, to do that. Fight Club is... It's up there for me. Have you watched it recently? Yes. Don't. Mm. I will. I will. Have you watched it I'm recently? Just saying, you may be Andy may break the tie. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. I'm going to have to I'm break it in one saying, direction. Ha- in one, one direction, the band One Direction. Yes. Um, <laughs> also on a desert island. You One Direction, Terminator Two, and a television. No. And Marky no, Mark. it's me. It's me, Tom Jones, and Elvis Presley on a desert that's, island. You're so, class. Whatever. That is class. That is a, that's going to be it's, a crazy desert island. That's great. It's just, they, these are just the facts, gentlemen. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Terminator 2, Pete. Then it, doesn't, then it doesn't matter. Hmm. <laughs> that's right. I have lost. It Terminator. was a principled hmm. loss. Hmm. Now, this one will be harder. Terminator 2 or Brazil? Brazil Ter- happens Terminator. to be Terminator my two. favorite film. I am going to be Terminator 2 on this one. I'm going to be Terminator 2. I appreciate your favorite film, but this is one of mine, so I will say. <laughs> That's Terminator fine. Two. That's fine. Uh, Terminator 2 takes it. Now we're at Terminator 2 or Requiem for a Dream. Terminator now, 2. There's a, there's oh, a, there's a different pair. <laughs> that is different. Um, I would say Terminator 2 because I can't watch Requiem for a Dream more than once because it is so goddamn mm. good. It's just... It's a hard it's, it's, film to It watch. is such a good movie it's to hard. teach children Man. about drugs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love Darren Aronofsky more than anything. He was one of my favorites. If at some point in my life or my career I could ever work with that man, I would just lose it. Like he's he's one of my favorites. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's a brilliant filmmaker. He's very creative, <sighs> but Terminator Two still takes it for me. Yeah. All right. But they're completely different. They I mean, are. This is, it's a totally this different what, ballpark. Like it's hard. This to, is what we call yeah, a flick chart hate those. crime, where you're forced to choose between two <laughs> movies that no right-thinking person would ever choose between. Oh, so. uh, you know, it's the FMK. It's happening. <laughs> it's right. Terminator Two or Seven. Little David Fincher. Two. I'm going with seven here. I'm going with seven. Getting... I have to go with seven. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> I'm Brad Pitt. <laughs> no. Sorry. All right. Well, I'm sorry, but no. seven does take it on that one. Uh, Terminator 2 or Jaws? Oh, I'm going with Jaws. This is this is getting no, like way at the top I, of my no. list. Now. Yeah. I'm going to, this is, you guys need to, uh, you got to come out with something different. Um, we don't have a choice. I wish we had a yeah, choice. Is, it's totally random. My, um, you know that my grandpa was a first AD uh, and a UPM forever. He worked on, um, he may have worked on Jaws. He did Jaws 2 and my dad did Jaws 2 oh, when he was like 17 years old and used to kill sharks and shit. Oh, Nuts. Wow. Wow. I, I note that you didn't vote. You just took another drink. So... <laughs> Terminator oh, 2, you I did. Said. Okay, good. Oh, okay. Right. No, immediately. I said that before you Andy, guys even so said you're shit. Jaws? I'm Jaws, yeah. This is in your court then, Pete. However, uh, formidable theme song. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. Williams, possibly at his finest. Hey, Andy, I have to do Terminator. Oh, wow. I, I, That right. surprises me. If I have to sit side by side and look at these, I think I'm going to do Terminator 2. All right. That's, I agree. That's fair. That is fair. I may well, wake that... up really hungover. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see if well, that leaves, we'll see how well that sticks. That leaves Terminator 2 at number five now on our list. So that is, uh, that's wow. the end of Flick Chart Ranking. We bumped it up to number five out of nearly 250 movies. So What are, what are, the, was, what are the top four? Uh, what are the four ahead of it? Network is number one. Mr. Really? Yeah, Mr. Oh, yeah. Smith goes to Washington, number two, Raising Arizona, number three, and seven, number four. We've talked about a lot of very interesting movies. Um, and this is now the highest ranked uh, speakeasy film. Ooh, a lot. Yeah, there you go. So, and so I assume that if you were going to do a star ranking out of this, uh, it would be a five-star film for you. Yeah, no, this is this is like this. No, this is this is one of my top. I mean, I have uh, I have a very obviously interesting taste in uh, film. And if you guys ever decide to watch the FPE, you will understand. Well, this is uh, so that's the the other ranking we do is letterbox.com slash the next real. Our diary is over there for users of letterbox. Check it out. And this Andy for me is also a five star film. Absolutely. Five star yep. for me. I just uh, this is one of those movies that I rewatch, and even if I notice any problems with it, they're so easy to just put put aside and just just go along for the ride. This is one of the most enjoyable films to just sit and uh, and just you know let wash over me. It's just a fantastic, fantastic movie. Truly, yeah. soak it up, guitars, Cadillacs, hillbilly music. <laughs> there you go, Sonia. Well, Sarah, um, so if people uh, want to find you, where should they uh, find you online? Are you online? Do you have an online presence? Do people like... I mean, I you know, I don't know that I have a presence, but I'm there. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> try, try not to undersell it. <laughs> I, um, SarahTrost.com is my website. Um, I'm Sarah Trost on Facebook. I am uh, Sarah Trost Design on Instagram. Um, I am the Sarah Trost on Twitter. All of these things. Well, this is this is also. I mean, you know, this is the plug part. So, what are you what are you working on? What are you proud of? Where where can we see your work? What am I the working FP. on? 
We have P2. Uh, well, you know, the FP2. The FP2 is coming up. So I'm working on the FP2, which you can't see any of that yet because I'm working on it now. However, you can see some of the trailers um, on YouTube uh, for Beats of Rage. Uh, there are a couple different teaser trailers that are up. Um, if you haven't seen the FP, you should probably fucking watch the FP because if you're listening to this podcast, you you would like it. Um, <laughs> I, I've got... I can't wait to watch uh, it you ha- I can't fucking believe you guys haven't I seen know, this. Like, I'm, I'm it, well, embarrassed to actually, yeah, or that, or maybe you would never talk to me again. So actually, I'm happy that <laughs> you, you did the show first. Because <laughs> I'm happy you did the show first <laughs> because maybe you wouldn't have spoken to me. Um, so we don't know, um, but maybe you should watch it and then we'll we'll try again. Um, I've got uh, Vice Principals for HBO coming up uh, July seventeenth, ten thirty Sundays. Um, it is Rolling Stone just said it was the best new comedy of the summer, which I have to agree with. It uh, looks terrific. It, yeah, man, oh, so it was great. God, man, it was. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Like they're so good. It is so funny. I loved Eastbound and Down, so I couldn't believe that I was up for this job. I got this job, and it is just it is it is better. It is just it is better, and I. I I just love it, and I cannot wait for people to see it. So that's I'm I'm incredibly incredibly excited about that that is it that see now that's a plug I'm, well i'm, I'm just excited about the it. internet that's not a plug well, but that's true i mean i'm sort of on the internet i don't know but like i've got other sh- but like stuff that i do is other places well i'll tell you we sure appreciate you uh, hanging out with us and talking about this movie it was an awesome awesome pick and uh this is probably the best use of finally ever finally we got t2 on the list so well, thanks again for joining us in the next Real Speak Easy, Sarah. Well, thank you for having me. And for those of you out there, we hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what you heard, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, Pinterest, Letterboxd, Flickchart, and YouTube. And don't forget to head over on iTunes and leave us a rating and a comment. It really does help more people find us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, stay here. I'll be back. I don't want to get you around my makeup. I'm gonna use you to be my I love having these wonderful chats on movies we like with all these industry guests talking about some of their favorite movies. So many great conversations on that show about so many great movies. We have so much fun having these conversations, but producing the show week after week does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these incredible conversations. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material for all the adapted film discussions on The Next Reel's family of podcasts. Purchasing through our links supports the show. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy your copy of the original source material. Original material for movies we like, movies like Casino Royale. The Silent Partner. Never Let Me Go. Silver Linings Playbook. There Will Be Blood, based on Upton Sinclair's Oil. I believe it's Oil! Oh, yeah. I forgot the exclamation point. (laughs) Plus, by using those links to buy your next read, Apple and Amazon show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. TheNextReel.com slash originals. It's a great way to support the show 
and find your next page turner. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to pick out your next read and dig in today. Today. 